You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. In the lands of Middle-earth, legend tells of the Dark Lord Sauron and the ring that would give him the power to enslave the world. Lost for centuries, it has been sought by many and has now found its way into the hands of the most unlikely person imaginable. Sauron needs only this ring to cover all the lands in darkness. What must I do? The ring must be destroyed. The ring must be cast back into the fires of Mount Doom. There is evil there that does not sleep. Sauron's forces are already moving. They will find the ring and kill the one who carries it. No! Come on, Frodo! do this alone. You have my sword. And you have my bow. And my axe. This task was appointed to you, and if you do not find a way, no one will. The enemy has many spies, birds, beasts. Something draws near. I can feel it. Get off the road! We must remember Frodo. The ring is trying to get back to its master. It wants to be found. Let us hope that our presence may go unnoticed. They are coming. Never come to me. Back, you devil! I wish none of this had happened. You will find your courage. If you want him, come and claim him. everybody you just listening to the trailer for the lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring and the story is as follows the future of civilization rests in the fate of the one ring which has been lost for centuries powerful forces are unrelenting in their search for it but fate has placed it in the hands of a young hobbit named frodo baggins who inherits the ring and steps into legend. A daunting task lies ahead for Frodo when he becomes the ring bearer to destroy the one ring in the fires of Mount Doom where it was forged. The film is starring Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Liv Tyler, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, John Reese davies Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan, Orlando Bloom, Christopher Lee, Hugo Weaving, Sean Bean, Ian Holm, and Andy Serkis in a blink and you'll miss him moment. It is directed and written by Peter Jackson, co-written by Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens. Here to join me today for this throwback podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. I am so excited to be here. And also my dear friend from In Session Film, Brendan Cassidy. So it begins. Great to be here. Guys, I got to tell you, this is this is a big deal for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this is big. I mean, everyone everyone knows, anyone who's ever listened to the show has heard me reference multiple times that the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy is the single most influential movie in my life. It is my favorite film of all time. And being here today to talk about the first installment of this masterful trilogy with all of you is something that I've literally been dreaming about. I've been dreaming about the day when I would be able to talk at length about these movies. And today we're only doing the first film, which actually, as of today, we just found out was added to the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress mm-hmm. and wow. is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year as well so the timing was right it's a christmas present from me to everyone and yeah a little bit to myself i will admit to that (laughs) (laughs) for sure so the fellowship of the ring brandon i know you have a long history uh with this film just as i do nicole you're new to these movies so i really like having uh this this balance here of opinions and uh, the the familiarity with the property. And I want to start us off with Nicole. Uh, Nicole, because you just saw it for the first time uh, fairly recently, this year. I don't remember when exactly. Time is a flat circle in many ways. But <laughs> I, kn- I know it was sometime this year. So what did you ultimately think of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring? So it was kind of funny because Lord of the Rings is one of those things that I always assumed I would watch at some point and had never seen. And I think it's partially because I was sort of intimidated by them. The way that people talk about them, I thought that there were more of them than there are. Like, that sounds really funny, I know. And I haven't watched the Hobbit movies yet. But um, I, whenever I found out, I was like, oh, there's only three? Oh, okay. But granted, there's three of, like, the longest movies um, you could imagine, uh, like, in a franchise. But I, you know, I had really been putting this off for a long time. And then a friend of mine finally was like, no, you have to watch them. And I was like, all right, fine. And I agreed to do it this year. And then I was really lucky because another friend of mine texted me um, and asked if I'd like to go with her because uh, Silver Spot Cinema was um, doing the full trilogy in the theater. Uh, I think maybe because of the anniversary of this year, I'm not really sure. But it meant that I got to see this for the first time actually in the cinema Uh, And it was the extended version. So it feels like I had like the greatest possible first time viewing experience to have not seen it in theaters originally. And then I I have since watched the other two as well. And I rewatched the, you know, the first one a day. And uh, I will say (laughs) watching it a second time, I was like, okay, yes, I under, I know who these people are called now. Like I know what their names are because it is very dense. There's a lot of world building There's a lot of characters to keep track of. There's a lot of plot lines to follow. But I think it's actually a really great example of really nicely done world building uh, and really, really beautiful character work, really fantastic performances all around. And I mean, we, we can get more into sort of this later, but it is not at all what I thought it was going to be. And I like it so much more for that. Okay. All right. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, 
punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. Brendan Cassidy, thoughts on The Fellowship of the Ring? Uh, Lots of thoughts. First off, I think it's really exciting to hear Nicole's perspective because she is coming at this with very fresh eyes. And in some ways, I sort of I'm sort of jealous of that. These are films I would have loved to be able to experience for the first time yet again. Uh, There are certain films that we just have that kind of reaction to that we'd love to kind of have that feeling that we first had when we first saw them. And Lord of the Rings does fall into that camp for me. Uh, And it's kind of nostalgic uh, in that way, too. I I think back at, at, at the time that this first came out, the year 2001, and there were really two films from this year that were sort of... I guess uh, growth spurts, if you will, when it came to my love of film. And it was this one and then Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, depending on where you're from. And both fantasy films, but both sort of had this new edge of storytelling that I just found so invigorating at that time in the year 2001. And The Lord of the Rings, it, it is a fantasy epic, and we've seen so many fantasy epics since then that have basically copied its aesthetic choices but not necessarily its way of thinking i think what makes this trilogy and especially the fellowship of the ring stand out is that it has way more in common with uh classic epics like ben-hur or even maybe something like braveheart for instance i think what what made it so great and so sincere is that peter jackson and crew they were not really trying to make a blockbuster if that makes sense they were just making something that was way more old-fashioned like those classic epics. And I think that's why it has such a sincerity that people still respond to. And to your point, Nicole, there is a lot of world-building here. The Fellowship of the Ring is certainly the most expository of the three, but exposition is not always a bad thing. I think in this case, this is poetic exposition. This is how you do it. And we'll talk about this later and how this act if you want to call it that sort of functions as its own film it has its own thematic identity by the time we actually reach its final minutes and that's what i like about these movies and especially this one i think it has something interesting to say even in this first third of an overarching story cosine everything everything that's been said (laughs) and i want to just say up front early i apologize 
<laughs> I am probably going to be insufferable on this particular review. Should I get the stopwatch out? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I plan to go at length here. <laughs> so, I'm going to first start off with 11-year-old Matt Neglia. Growing up in the suburbs. And I did not see this film in theaters when it came out. I remember my parents pulling us out of school to go see Harry Potter. But not this. This I actually saw when it came out on DVD. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, my entire family used to get together whenever there was uh, a big movie that we missed in theaters. If it was available on DVD, uh, we would all get together in our ba- in, in, in my parents' basement. And we would all watch together. And I'm not just talking like me and my immediate family. I'm talking like grandmother, aunt, uncle, cousins, like bunch of us would come together. It was like an event in, onto itself. So watching The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, I was completely blown away by it for obvious reasons. But I think it was mostly the world building and getting lost and swept up into the world. I have seen movies like this before, obviously, growing up and, you know, worshiping movies like Jurassic Park, Batman, Star Wars, any like Disney film, but like this was like the extent of my movie watching up until this point in my life. Lord of the Rings was a doorway. It was something that unlocked something in my mind that made me fascinated, not just about the story and the film itself, but also the very act of filmmaking. And this was helped by the fact that the bonus features on the DVD for Lord of the Rings, which are now considered legendary, Uh, precisely because of an example like myself, they were so thorough and so in-depth into the making of the movies that they really turned a bunch of young, impressionable people like myself into cinephiles. We suddenly became obsessed with the art departments and the makeup crews and wanting to know every single little detail that went into the making of these movies. Why? Because the final product itself was so enveloping. And to get lost in that and that feeling of escapism, it was a magic trick that was being pulled on you and you want to know how the magic trick works. So you study, you read up, and you just devour as much information as you can. And this is kind of pre-internet like the internet is around but i don't really know how to use it that well during this time so <laughs> i'm just re-watching this movie over and over and over I, I, as many times as i can i'm reading uh the books that they're based on by J.R.R. tolkien i'm just doing literally everything i can to just consume as much information as possible until the next theatrical film comes out and i remember the year-long wait between the first, the second, and then finally the third film from 2001 to 2003. Those were the longest year-long waits of my life. Even like as an adult now, when a season (laughs) of television ends and I'm waiting for the next season, it does not feel anywhere near as long as those years felt to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was insane. And so I grew up with these movies in a way where they just have such... They have such a hold on my heart, and I stand by what I'm about to say here. I really do think that these three movies are perfect, and I've seen them so many times that for the life of me, I can never 
point out a single flaw with them. To me, they represent the pinnacle of filmmaking and they have become the cornerstone for what I look for in movies today, especially uh, as mentioned before, blockbusters, even though this wasn't intended to be one, like you said, Brendan, they were just setting out to make a good story that honored the source material. Mm -hmm. And if only we could be so lucky for people to have a mindset like that nowadays when they approach something. I mean, the closest we've gotten recently has been Dune, but even still, you can finally you can sort of feel that studio like mandate uh, being placed on Diddy Villeneuve and his vision to adapt a very um, similarly dense uh, world, you know, for the big screen, something that was considered unfilmable, if you will. Sure. Uh, even though David Lynch tried, you know, a few years earlier. Uh, besides the point, I don't want to get sidetracked here. The Lord of the Rings were considered unadaptable. And when you look at the scope of the story and how many characters there are, how many settings there are, the paths that the story has to take, I could totally see how this would be considered undoable, especially originally they were going to just make it into uh, two movies. Oh, and uh, how? yeah, I, 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 I have no idea, <laughs> no idea. And I remember it was uh, one of the one of the executives in New Line said something to the effect of like, aren't there three books? You should make three, you know, and off to the races they went. And this was considered at the time the riskiest financial gamble in Hollywood history. Mm -hmm. um, these movies, if I remember correctly, the budgets on them weren't even $100 million, but they were close. They were somewhere between the 90 to $100 million range. And to bankroll three movies with that budget, not knowing if they're going to make that money back, like the money's already mm -hmm. been spent. They went out and they shot all three movies at the exact same time. That is unheard of in today's day and age nowadays mm -hmm. you shoot your first film you get your second and third film and what however many sequels greenlit after that and maybe you shoot two and three at the same time because now you've made enough money to justify that these are a hit and they're going to make their money back you would never bankroll three movies in today's film landscape ever mm -mm, mm -mm. no so it's just a it's just like kind of a miracle i mean to live through this time and to see uh, the success of these movies, the the impact that they had on pop culture, the award success, which we'll definitely talk about a little later as well. It, it just was a moment in time that I feel like is never going to be replicated again. And it was truly, truly special for anyone who loved these movies and became part of the fandom and mm -hmm. was rooting for the people that worked on these movies and their careers, the same way that you're rooting for Frodo and the fellowship to survive the, the perilous journey to Mount Doom. It's just yeah, the attachment to the everyone involved in this and not just the cast and Peter Jackson, but like down to the people that like just were the prop masters, like, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and like I said before, those special features on those DVDs, getting that up close look at how these movies were made helped with that attachment considerably considerably mm -hmm. yeah and I, I love that i'm talking and talking and talking i haven't said anything about the movie itself yet um <laughs> <laughs> like i said i i'm gonna i'm gonna go at length here so i apologize and i also want to make it clear we're only doing the first film we're not talking about the two towers we're not talking about return of the king we're only talking about the fellowship of the ring here today uh so i will also try to adhere to that and keep my thoughts as focused as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. uh, suffice to say, these films mean the world to me. 
And I'm happy to listen to criticisms if people have them. I'm I'm happy to have a debate. Sure. That's fine. You will never, ever, ever be able to convince me that these movies are anything other than sheer cinematic perfection. Um, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's totally okay. You want to sit there and tell me that a three-hour movie, especially a three-hour fantasy movie, is not your thing? That's cool. Totally mm-hmm. respectful. I, I understand where you are coming from, and I, I get it. But what I would also argue, too, is that these movies, 20 years later... They definitely have that quality, Brendan, that you were saying before, uh, that quality of they don't make them like this anymore. Mm-hmm. When I look at the Hobbit films, when I look at any movie that came after Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings was kind of the ending of that era of 1990s filmmaking where technology was really starting to rise and create some really cool eye-popping cinematic moments that we had never seen before. I'm thinking Mm. of Terminator 2, Jurassic Park, Titanic. And then you get something like Lord of the Rings in the early 2000s, and these are shot on film. They have a very amazing blend of practical and cgi utilizing miniatures and other old school special effects filmmaking that isn't done in a computer and this is all helping to give the fellowship of the ring a sense of realism which is helping us to get lost in middle earth and make it feel like middle earth is real Mm -hmm. as opposed to movies nowadays which you know i like a good old Marvel MCU film every now and again. They're entertaining. They're fun. I get it. Yeah, for sure. They do not have the same subliminal impact on me the way that these films do because of how grounded and reality-based they feel. I'll start off with that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's a great starting point, too. Uh, I I think a lot of that is because, like, like we've been saying, Peter Jackson and crew, they were respecting the integrity of J.R.R. Tolkien's stories, which are very human stories. They're they're, they're coming-of-age stories, more or less. And he made these films with a sense of sophistication that most movies don't have. And in a lot of ways, it also kind of uh, uh, continued a little bit into the mid-2000s. I think of movies like Pirates of the Caribbean, for instance, that aesthetically speaking still had this same kind of aura, this blend of practical and digital in ways that felt very immersive. Uh, But even with that aside, looking at this as more of a movie and a piece of storytelling rather than just as an aesthetic experience, it's that level of sincerity and sophistication that Peter Jackson brings and that level of respect that I think makes this really stand out. I mean, he it's almost as if he's trying to make more of a fantasy drama or at times even a fantasy horror movie. There are some harrowing sequences here, too, that really trace back to Jackson's uh, own experience making some of these campy horror movies as well. And you definitely get a lot of that here with the uh, the grotesque imagery, the, the excessive use of Dutch angles. And it just... It gives it a personality that is very risky and very daring. They don't make these kind of movies anymore, and simply because they can't. They can't make them because the the, the digital age, the, the, the day of, uh, of internet chat boards and social media and Twitter and speculations and theory-written articles would prevent events like this from ever happening in the same way. We might get another set of films that are just as good as these someday – but I don't know if the event around them will ever be replicated just simply due to 
time and setting and circumstance. Uh, and it would be great to relive this again with more fresh eyes. Hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full review for Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the nearly three-hour-long full review, you will have to head on over to our Patreon for Next Best Picture, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.